In this episode, the Australian airline in administration, the New Yorker on lockdown in New Zealand, and the items the French government deem indispensable during lockdown. Welcome to the World Nomads podcast. We'll be keeping you up to date with travel alerts, information about coronavirus, and sharing some uplifting news and views to inspire you and keep you smiling. Hi, it's Kim, and with Phil away from this episode, the job of delivering the headlines surrounding the pandemic and its effect on the travel industry has fallen on Millie Brady, our travel safety content producer. Big shoes to Phil. Oh, it's not a play on words there, Kim. (laughs) Not deliberate. You picked it up the first time we tried to record this. (laughs) We are recording because of lockdown. I'm in my wardrobe and where are you? I am in my husband's wardrobe. So it's not always a one-take wonder, right? No, definitely not. Well, launch into it then, Millie. So the big news from Australia today is the airline Virgin Australia going into administration. Uh, Sir Richard Branson, who founded the airline, has hit out at the Australian government online. I know only too well how devastating the news today will be to you all. In most countries, federal governments have stepped in, in this unprecedented crisis for aviation, to help their airlines. Sadly, that has not happened in Australia. This is not the end for Virgin Australia and its unique culture. Never one to give up, I want to assure all of you and our competitor that we are determined to see Virgin Australia back up and running soon. But more than 10 parties have shown interest in saving it, so hopefully there's good news there. Yeah. It's not great news for the hospitality graduates in 2020, with the job market decimated by the pandemic. And it's been reported some universities are asking students to consider graduate school to find a field outside hospitality. I see. I think that's harsh. I see where they're going with that. But if you've studied and you're graduating and you want to be in the hospitality industry because there are so many fantastic jobs. That's that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if I was told I couldn't pursue whatever I'd done my degree on, I'd, I'd be pretty gutted. All right, now this is, this is right up my alley. Local wine shops in France have started delivering survival packs of six or 12 bottles to quarantined residents. Nice. And going to a bakery for a baguette is now deemed indispensable for the continuity of life of the nation. I agree with that. A couple of years ago, Heather Markle left her 25-year career and is now living life as a nomad after giving up her expensive New York City apartment. Now, Heather first contacted me, Millie, in early March as a potential amazing nomad. But that was just before travel stopped and now she's found herself in lockdown in New Zealand. Yeah, at that point, um, I had actually just gotten interviewed by the New York Times because um, I have been a nomad. I quit my job and started traveling in January of 2018 with the intent of a three or six month career break and ended up just I, I love more than anything traveling and meeting people. So doing it full time was just living my dream. So I gave up my New York City apartment um, in October 2018 and have been on the road ever since. Uh, so, you know, this year I started in New Zealand with the intention of initially going to see parts of Southeast Asia I hadn't seen yet and then uh, make my way back to Africa and see more of it and South America through November. (laughs) That was the original plan. (laughs) So you were in New Zealand when the pandemic hit and you you could have gone home to New York? Yeah, it was this weird thing. So, I mean, I had traveled, I had planned to travel through November anyway. And then when 
first it was this weird um, day by day thing like today, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't go to Asia. It's looking bad. And then meeting people who had been other places and couldn't understand what was happening. Why was the media making such a fuss? And then I was supposed to visit my friend in Sydney. And as I watched their numbers come up, um, I suddenly started realizing maybe actually the travel that I had planned isn't going to work out. And then um, I got to, I was heading up north and I suddenly realized that I had this decision where, yes, I could return home, which was to New York, which at the time appeared to be like an epicenter of problems, um, or stay in this nature area in the north of New Zealand. Mm. Um, and it was, it was a terrible decision because, you know, I have my parents at home that are at risk. So even if I went home, I wouldn't have been able to see them. Um, I would be uh, confined to an, my mother's New York City apartment um, where they've closed Central Park. So I'd be able to walk from one side of the apartment to the other. And I wouldn't even be able to see the friends that I came to be closer to. So it just, um, and it, I also at the time had a viral cough and everything I was reading suggested that if you add on the virus to something else, it's not a good um, self-health move. And I didn't want to make other people sick by taking a plane and infecting other people. So I just made the decision that for now it seemed best to stay in New Zealand. Yeah, well, you've traded your Manhattan apartment, as you said, for a cottage uh, amongst among nature, if that's how you say yes. it. Um, <laughs> totally. And we're all being told to check in on those people that are self-isolating on their own. But it sounds like you're loving it. I am. Um, so it, it kind of, I mean, I don't know. I, I always feel like the universe is looking out for me um, ever since I started traveling. And um, I mean, I... I I ended up at this nature place totally by accident. I was at an Airbnb down the road um, and they needed me to check out a couple days later. And I saw this like art gallery and I walked in to look at the art gallery and ended up on this nature reserve and they had cottages and they were renting by the month. <laughs> so, um, so I was really lucky to um, come in here and even luckier still there are um, there's another American couple that is stuck here as well. Um, and they're in the cottage next door. And so I'm, I'm alone, but, but not. <laughs> so, um, we've, we've been isolating together and it ends up that they are also Jewish. And so we had this magical Passover Seder at a, you know, six feet distance on the porch. <laughs> um, and we read from the Haggadah and we started talking about, um, how, you know, the, the, tribulation and journey of the Jews relates very much to current day, um, the pandemic and um, kind of looking at what we've already been through as a people and what we're going through now. And it was, it was actually a really deep Seder that, um, I don't know, I, I've never had a Seder like that. I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, and I think it also made us closer. So it's just been lovely. What a special memory to have. Yeah. It couldn't be any more polar opposite than what's happening in New York. Yeah, exactly. And and look at the <laughs> look at the leadership difference too. <laughs> yes, that's making headlines. Yep. Yep. Well, both of them, right? I mean, um I'm amazed so being from the US and uh, having the leader that we do coming here and Jacinda actually every statement she makes is it's please, you know, care, be caring, be compassionate for others. Think about other people. Like I've never 
had that experience where a leader is um, effective. She thinks out everything. She communicates really well. And what's forefront on her mind is taking care of her people. Um, but I have to say, what amazed me even more was uh, when this all started unfolding, there was a government website where we could get information. And it, it instructed us that if we had a tourist visa, that um, they would be extending them for us. And first I was amazed that I didn't have to apply. I didn't have to go to an office. I didn't have to submit a form online. They were doing this for us. And we'd be getting an email when the extension was done. I got that email 48 hours later. <laughs> and I'm like, so my visa's extended till September 25th. I didn't have to apply for it. And I'm not even a citizen. And they took care of me in 48 hours. I mean, they're really, really lovely, gracious people and a lovely, gracious government on top of that. I'm imagining you making daisy chains. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if I could do that with the wildlife, like, so there's, um, it's just really funny being a New York City girl that, I mean, I've lived in many places and many different accommodation styles, but um, it's really funny because, you know, I've traded fear of, like, you know, you have like, traffic noise and sirens and all that and it's just completely silent here except for the animals who like um last night i, I heard my neighbors heard it first but last night i finally heard that the heavy breathing noise and there's like no footsteps and there's a, like a giant rubbing against the wall of my bedroom and i'm just really curious like what is this <laughs> well, did you find out what like, it is well no and i i did um there were footsteps on my porch a couple days ago. So I took a picture and I showed them to the owner and she was baffled. So she's decided it's a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. You're never yeah. bored when you've got your imagination. That's no, like, no, it's, it's thrilling. And there's like, and I never know like what insect is going to end up in my home. Like I've had, um, I had a praying mantis um, perch on my curtain rod. Uh, you know, I've had spiders. I've had, Oh, I had a giant cockroach. Like, I, it was really weird. I walked into my bedroom at 11 o'clock and I turned the light on and there's this roach and it, it looked very intelligent. It kind of sat up and it was as if it was thinking, you know, like what, what's going on here? What, why is the light on? Who are you? Like what, you know, and it looked, I don't know. It just looked kind of kind and, and like, um, I just had respect for it. So I didn't want to kill it. So I just, like, you know, I took my laundry bag and like put my hand over it and tried to put it outside. Oh, that's lovely. So you could have had a new friend. I, I feel like I do. I have a lot. And, yeah. And, and like the birds here, there's a, there's like a fantail bird. I'm learning all about like nature and this bird is like a Disney bird. It comes and flies over and hovers by my head and it chatters with me. Oh, how fabulous. Oh. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally. Okay, to finish off, if you were to give your cockroach a, a name, <laughs> mm. what would it be? I think Hubert. Oh, I like that. Hubert <laughs> <laughs> the cockroach. <laughs> well, say hi to Hubert if you see him again or her. I absolutely will. <laughs> Look out for the Yeti and please take care. Thank you so much. You too. Not the worst place to be locked down, is it? No, certainly not. She painted a fabulous picture. Who wouldn't want to be friends with a cockroach? <laughs> Anna Charlotte Shaw is a portrait photographer and she's shot pics in places from Mexico to Mongolia. But amid the pandemic, like others, her livelihood has taken a beating. Uh, yes, I am a photographer in Brooklyn and I have my own photo studio here, although I came at it from an interesting path. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in finance and then I went to law school. And strangely enough, 
when I graduated law school, it was 2010 and the financial markets had crashed. And so the first time I was hunting for a job in my life, a full-time permanent job, it was like the worst market that any young graduate could graduate out of. Um, but I got a job in New York, started my career, eventually left the law behind, went back to school in 2016, got my master's in photography, and now I'm building my career and we're back to the worst you know, possible time to start a job or build your career, do practically everything. So um, it's, it's an interesting situation to be at. And I feel like it's the second time in my life I'm, I'm here again. Well, if anything, you're resilient. I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning a lot of lessons for a future uh, event that I hope never happens again. <laughs> How's your career been affected? Uh, it's been greatly affected. So I'm a product and portrait photographer. Um, I mainly do commercial work and I can't do anything. Obviously I've had to shut down my studio. Uh, my studio is also a commercial rental studio. So people rent it for the day. They pay for monthly rentals. I stopped all of that pretty early on about a week before the mandated shutdown because I just realized that it would be impossible to provide a safe environment for everyone to work in. And the first three weeks, everyone was just so tense and afraid and everything had just paused and everything was shut down. In the last couple of weeks, I think as we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel in New York, um, I've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings, little iPhone training sessions. I reached out to some of my previous clients and I figured out a way that if they mail me their products and I work with them, you know, via Zoom or send them pictures, I can shoot in my studio without having um, anyone else present. Um, or, and I've also been working on a personal project, shooting essential workers at their place of work. And, you know, I have a long lens, so I wear a mask. I'm more than six feet away. I shoot them outside. So we're learning to work around it, but um, it's hard because economically it's hard and people are just, people are fearful. And Photography is normally a thing of joy and excitement, not, not something of fear and trepidation. I am seeing, I know you said you're a portrait photographer, but I'm seeing some great photos of, you know, normally busy streets that are just totally abandoned. You said you were doing some photos of essential services. Yeah. Have you taken any of Brooklyn Bridge or anything like that that's normally bustling place? Um, I'm not really much of a street photographer. I've taken some. Um, I'm actually focusing on the streets in my neighborhood. So I live in a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Clinton Hill. And it's one of the most affected neighborhoods in um, New York. And Brooklyn as a whole has been really badly affected. Um, I'm in a mixed neighborhood that's sort of in the process of gentrifying, but it's very much a working class neighborhood. Um, so I've been focusing on the streets and the people I see in this particular neighborhood of, and just telling the story of one place. Um, I did go out a couple times and try to take some empty streets, but it's funny because a lot of New Yorkers are just walking out and about <laughs> so, uh, because the weather is turning nicer and people are cooped up at home and they're getting exercise. So the streets aren't as quiet as they were maybe the first couple weeks, but there's a lot of essential workers. New York needs a ton of people. They're delivering mail, they're delivering packages, they're cleaning, um, they're running the shops. And I think they're occupying those spaces that are normally otherwise busy with other people. Well, speaking of busy, you live down the road from the Brooklyn Hospital Centre, which you said yes. is a major healthcare facility. So yes. what, what's it like? Yeah, um, I haven't gone too close to the hospital, although I've, I've sort of circled around. Um, I will tell you that it has been eerie um, hearing the ambulances. I didn't notice at first because I live pretty close to a police precinct as well, so I'm used to ambulances. But I suddenly noticed there would be like 
four, five times an hour constantly all day and all night. And I finally looked outside and I realized, oh my God, these aren't police. Their ambulance is rushing back and forth, taking people to the hospital. And it was really freaky. And it was the end of March and it was cold and rainy and you know, you couldn't go outside the time and all you would see outside your window um, was just ambulances rushing back and forth on the main road. And it was, it was heartbreaking knowing that each of those ambulances contained somebody who, you know, was, was struck by this and they were in a bad enough condition that they, they couldn't breathe, that they were close to death. Um, and some of those people wouldn't have made it out of the hospital. And so I remember having to put my TV on all the time um, just to drown out those sounds because otherwise you could sit in your apartment and really fixate on that. Um, in a way that's like not really mentally healthy. Um, although I'm I'm pleased to report now that it's gone down a lot. I still see a lot passing outside my window, but it's not the sort of constant every few minutes. Well, as you said, you survived the 2008 global financial crisis. What did you learn from that that you'll take post-coronavirus? <laughs> you know, my dad told me this because I was really, really down when I was in law school um, and getting ready to graduate and like, I would sign up for interviews and they would be canceled and I would look at a company and then they would go under. Um, and I was so frustrated, but my dad told me, he told me two things. One, he said, um, there's always an opportunity when things are changing. And this is a type of period where things will change. People will change the way that we live or the way that we work will change. And there's always an opportunity for someone who is looking on the other side of that change. So you just have to focus on what's going to come at the other side and position yourself to be ready. And the other thing he told me was even when the situation is bad and it's out of your control, keep working at it. Um, even if you spend two hours a day and you have no control over the outcome, try to do something. And it took me a couple of weeks to get there. The first couple of weeks, I think I was really frozen in fear um, this time. And so it was the whole city. But now I've people I see are making plans and they're working and they're sending emails and they're making connections and they're trying to figure out a way to continue with their normal lives. And even if it's not a hundred percent, it's something. And that really makes a huge difference mentally. And a picture painted there of a New York Heather really wanted to avoid. Yeah, exactly. Now, Cassandra Brooklyn, speaking of New York, she's a regular guest on the podcast and has posted a photo essay about the empty streets of the city, and I'll put that in show notes. But if you want to get in touch with your story, pick or surviving ISO tip, email podcast at worldnomads.com. What's next? Next episode, we chat to a writer in lockdown in Italy for the past two months with her two teenage boys. Ooh, bye. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.